Save the King! Hello and welcome back to Pod Save the King. I'm your host, Anne Gripper, and I am joined by Daily Mirror Royal Editor Russell Myers, who is in his car, so it may sound a little unusual compared to normal. Uh, he's not on an exciting jaunt and he's not been thrown out by his missus, but it was just the best place for him to record today on a slightly unusual day. Russell, how are you? You okay? I'm all right, yes. We had a bit of an emergency last night. We had to decamp to a uh, to a hotel because we had a, a burst pipe in our house, but we are all all right. Everybody is safe and sound, and hopefully we'll be able to get back into the house in due course. So, uh, so yeah, sorry I'm joining you a little bit late, but, you know, it's never without drama. Well, no, certainly not. It's always entertaining, spending time with you, uh, trying to work out when to do the podcast and then actually doing it. So I'm delighted that we're here. We've got lots to talk about. Kate and William have been out and about a fair amount. Princess Beatrice talking a podcast about dyslexia, which was really interesting, and then talking about some of the other people in that royal ecosystem as they all settle into their new world. But um, let's start, since we're on houses a little bit, Russell, with your house, with Prince Andrew's mm-hmm. house, Royal Lodge, where it's update. I mean, there's been a bit of a, will he stay? Will he not stay? You know, it's, I mean, it's a big old house. There's the optics of the non-working royal who's been a bit, you know, who's a problem, has been a problem still being in this very large house on the Windsor estate. There would presumably be a very nice house for the Waleses to live in were it vacant. Um, was he going to stay in it? Was he not? Anyway, what's the latest? Well, you'd say about Prince and Princess of Wales. I mean, I'm, I, I'm sure they have got their eyes on the, on moving to a bigger house and Royal Lodge would certainly fit the bill, wouldn't it? Because they have moved to Windsor last year, initially to be closer to the Queen. Now that late Queen is no longer with us, they are still in Adelaide Cottage. But of course, being the heir to the throne, one would think that he won't stay in the cottage for uh, for the for the future, and of course they've got three children. It's um it's a it's a very nice house, but I think that they would uh, presume that their family will outgrow that in uh, in due course. But what is going to happen with Royal Lodge? Well, you will have seen uh, with our exclusive this week at the Mirror that there has been a bit of movement, and as you say, it's been a bit of a conundrum about will he stay? Will he not be able to stay there? Is he going to be evicted? Lots of very emotive language used in the in this arena but i can reveal he has um, been granted permission by the king to stay indefinitely now that may seem pretty slam dunk in terms of for for andrew's sake but the plot thickens because as we know that royal lodge needs a lot of renovation work it's uh it has damp throughout the property i mean it's not exactly falling down but it does have a roof that needs redoing and um and as andrew has spent uh several million on that in uh over the past few years he he needs to stump up some extra cash and his finances have always been sort of shrouded in mystery haven't they i mean they sold their sullingdale mansion many years ago for uh for a, for a pricey sum of about 15 million pounds and um and what have they done with the money well we know what andrew has done with some of his money because he was uh, had to pay virginia Jeffrey. 15 million 12 million pounds rather 15 million dollars at the time um, to stop the sexual assault cases going to court, which he'd always vehemently denied, but he still had to pay that amount of money. Now, he's been given a stay of execution, is how it's been put to me, because 
basically he rents this property or leases the property from the crown estate but the king has essentially said to him you can stay there as long as you can pay for the renovations now i'm told that those renovations amount to about two million at the moment furthermore he paid about two hundred thousand pounds during the summer to have some of the roof fix but it's been again described to me as uh, an interim payment i mean that sounds like an awful lot of money to just be putting a down payment on but it's a rather large house as you said it's a 30 room mansion so what does this mean for andrew i suppose it means that he's allowed to stay there for the for the future as long as he can prove that he comes up with the money but how is he going to come up with the money? Then we've got another story today that Fergie, Sarah Fergus and his ex-wife, who does still live at Royal Lodge with him, rather unusual um, living arrangements, one may think. But they are, what does she say, uh, Fergie? said they're, they're, they're the best divorced, divorced couple that she knows. So I suppose it's uh, it, it all gets a little bit complicated as much as his financial affairs and her financial affairs. She was nearly declared bankrupt a, a, a couple of decades ago, but has since found her found her feet. She's a best-selling author now. She's just got a 22-book deal. She's just managed to afford a £5 million place in Mayfair. So she's not doing too badly. And uh, and the friends that I'd spoken to this week of hers were saying, listen, the, the, the case is that Andrew has stuck by her through her various misdemeanours and misgivings um, throughout her relationship with the royal family, which were very tense at one point. I mean, Prince uh, Philip pretty much exiled her from the family, banned her from any Christmas get-togethers and whatnot. Um, so much so when she was at Balmoral they, and they heard that he, he was arriving, that she pretty much needed to get in the car and hot for it out because he didn't even want to set eyes on her. But this is a very complex situation. Of course, the king wants to slim down the monarchy. He's told everyone they've got to tighten their belts. He's taken Andrew's allowance away from him whether a 63 year old man should have an allowance from his late mother or his brother is uh is a uh, uh, one for another day i suppose but what does it mean for the relationship between the king and his brother i mean i think it was pretty pretty hot at one point the king pretty much saying to him you've got to move out whether that was going to make way um for william and kate and their family is another conversation entirely but he was saying to him, listen, you don't have the means to stay in this place anymore. It's rather large for you to be knocking about. Your royal status is by no means what it was uh, a few years ago. He's had to step back, as we know, from all royal duties. And he does, does he have any money? I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe he's got a few million knocking about in his savings account. But your guess is as good as mine. So unless he can come up with the money, um, I, I'm afraid he's going to have to move out, isn't he? He has been offered other jobs or our role within the family i know that um andrew had basically told the king he would like to go and run balmoral i'm not sure what sort of a gatekeeper or gamekeeper he thinks he can turn it all a golf but... course <laughs> yeah i mean that would be quite nice i don't open it to the public i mean i i, I wouldn't fancy uh you know i wouldn't fancy going up there rather it would be quite nice but in terms of the relations there has been a cooling of relations i'm told so I think the king just probably wants an easy life, doesn't he? Just wants to sort of say to Andrew, listen, you're no longer in the firm. You, you know, there's no way back for you. We told you what we told you a year or so ago. And so those, or nearly two years ago, those um, those facts remain. 
Um, you don't need a 30-room mansion to be knocking around in. Frogmore Cottage has been done up to a very nice standard. I think he's just being a bit of a pampered prince. And I'm sure that that uh, phrase has been used one or two times to do with him. Um, once so or twice. It, yeah, once or twice. It seems as though uh, Andrew's pretty much got to come up with the readies or he's going to have to find himself getting a removal van to move himself probably just a quarter of a mile up the road to get, get into Frogmore Cottage. I mean, it sounds like it's a money pit. He might be best from a bounce of that. But I think quick... so. It's no guarantee. It's, he's even got to, it's not like you or I, we bought our, and my house is literally, literally falling down. And so just showing you the scaffolding outside it, which has been here for about three months. But it's not like you or I put money into our houses and one day when we're grey and old, we might realise the true value of the house if we're lucky and be able to pass on a couple of pennies to our children. He's actually not going to be able to do that. So kind of what's the point? I mean, he's just making a rod for his own back, isn't he? Pride. Maybe it's pride. Yeah, pride. That is it. And you know what? You say pride, and that is exactly what someone said to me yesterday, saying, you know, Fergie is going to help him because she feels sort of duty-bound. But, you know, Fergie's probably got a few quid in the bank, but she's not got a bottomless pit of money. Um, I mean, she had Jeffrey Epstein to bail her out 15 grand not so long ago. So... It shows you what sort of financial disarray she was in now that she's got this fantastic career, a 22-book deal. One must imagine she signed her for a, a pretty penny doing that. But if you're going to plough in another £2 million on top of the reported, what, £7.5 million that you've already put in, and um, it just seems a bit of a, a bit of a hiding to nothing. Um, it's interesting you saying about, you know, should a 63-year-old man be getting an allowance from his late mother or his brother? No. No, no but, he didn't. but it made me think, like, you know, the royal family, presumably they don't have pensions. Their pension is being part of the family. So if you stopped his allowance, in theory, he's got no money unless he's been yes. saving his allowance nicely all the way along rather than spending all of his pocket money on sweets every week. So wow. it's, got a small it's just a whole other world, pension, isn't it? Isn't it? A small naval pension, I think it's about fifteen thousand pounds. He probably with the roof. state back <laughs> in the roof, that's for sure. And he, he listen, royal affairs are royal affairs, aren't they? And uh, his financial affairs have always been very, very um, I don't murky for want of a better word. We don't really know too much about them. I think that one may say at this juncture in his life, oh, in see the rest of your days go and play golf ride on the horses and there's a very nice house waiting for you over the way and why on earth would you want to just creating more drama but i think that prince andrew for his part he feels aggrieved i mean he's always said that he'd done nothing wrong even though he had to pay this exorbitant amount uh out to virginia defray to stop that court case going to going to uh, civil trials so where where do where does he stand? I suppose pride is a major major factor, isn't it? He talked about Fergie as well, and about how you know she's she's doing pretty well for herself now, and sort of it's all come back around, and she's in. I mean, later life. I mean, she's still rel- she's young in the context of that older generation of the royal family, really. But with her her books, her brilliant uh, what's it Mills and Boone, isn't it? The romances, yeah. and she she seems to be enjoying her life. She's you know doing. Uh, the stories in, on YouTube and stuff and getting dressed up in mad ways during the pandemic, during lockdown, now doing the podcast, now being very open, talking about her breast cancer treatment and everything like that. And Princess Beatrice, she made her podcast 
debut uh, recently on uh, the Dyslexic Thinking podcast. She's a, she's an ambassador for Made in Made by Dyslexia, and as well as talking about dyslexia, I mean, she spoke with huge affection and admiration of her mother and her uh, Fergie being someone who you know there's a problem but we'll just sort it out we'll just get on with it we'll find a way everything you know everything will be okay we'll just find a way through this and and keep going and so having a massive can-do attitude about everything and it was really lovely hearing Beatrice speaking with such sort of warmth and affection about her mother but then she also I don't think mentioned her dad at all I mean entirely understandably in the context of the situation because he's sort of you know persona non grata really in every in every sense publicly and is a, a problem that you don't need to bring into those conversations but um but listening to it as well you know quite often and probably my watching the Windsor's sitcom is partly to blame for this where the, the portrayal of Eugenie and Beatrice is quite airheady um although there is an excellent dance scene where uh, Beatrice and Edo get together uh, but hearing Beatrice talking about the tech world that she's involved in and AI and, you know, can AI be a solution to problems? And speaking with great, I think, well, knowledge, it what appeared to me mm. great knowledge and understanding and expertise and enthusiasm for the field in which she's working. And then having talked about the challenges that she had as a child when sort of realizing that she her brain worked differently and the teachers not initially realizing the problem in that moment of a te- I mean can you imagine like, it must be weird being a member of the royal family in primary school and everybody's probably a bit pointing and looking at you or at least probably the parents are and then you're in a room where, where you're going to be asked to do something like read aloud from a book and you know the people around you can do it and you just can't. It just doesn't make sense to you. Like the uh, the amount of um, ha- like how difficult that must be. I mean, it must be difficult for any child when that happens. And just uh, and her enthusiasm for how she now deals with dyslexia and sees it as a it's a positive thing. It's a different way of thinking. She thought about it as spe- uh, thinking in circles and about communication and collaboration. And I think something that people probably fall into two camps. What would you rather do? Would you rather have a pen and be writing on a whiteboard, Russell, like in front of the room where you're in a, like an ideas session, or would you rather have to give a speech tomorrow? Me, personally? You, yeah. Which camp? Speech, speech all day long. Your speech, I mean, to be fair, the way you rattle on of the podcast, that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't massively surprise me, but you know, I'm, yeah, I feel very comfortable with a pen, just get up, do the, do the whiteboard thing. I have to think, long and hard if I'm standing up to speak in front of people but Beatrice was just like you know if I'm given a pen I have to write in front of people like how excluding that is so you know it was it was really interesting listening to it you know there's so many dyslexic people that you and I probably work with and we just take for granted particularly now we're all working from home we're just writing messages to each other all the time and it's it's a totally different way of having to deal with the world in some ways. Well on this point two points my cousin is dyslexic and I've had this conversation with him several times and about that sort of moment in school where you find you just realize that you are different and that you can't do things that everybody else does and it's just soul destroying and I imagine that they and then she did feel that and why well, I, I did a documentary actually not too long ago on channel five good very good ratings and um about Brit, uh, Beatrice and Eugenie and 
They are, and when you're looking through the archive footage about them, and it, I think it was talk, you're talking about their lives and various commentators and what have you, but looking through the archive footage, they are tremendous public speakers. And you talk about talking about with real knowledge. They talk about things that they know about with great authority, whether that is dyslexia, whether that's um, usually uh, with her scoliosis and um, Beatrice's done a lot of things with her teenage cancer trust with her mother and without mum um as well the growing up in that world must be just just like a goldfish bowl and when you have to come out of that in terms of being in the real world in your school and talking to um to your classmates or in school plays or what or what have you it must be a really unsettling experience and i'm this, I've always been big fans of theirs. And I think one one moment in this documentary actually was was when they were talking about, you know, it's pretty tough growing up. And then imagine on top of that, and they're actually giving a speech at one of the youth events and they're on stage and they make a joke out of it. You know, when you're where when you're going through your teenage years and you might have braces or you might be uh, wearing a funny hat or something like they did to, was it William and Kate's wedding? Yep, the pretzel hat. And so, you know, the pretzel hat. And... The, the, well, the eyes of the world are on them and it must be just absolutely extraordinary sometimes and I think they've always given a good account of themselves if we were in a different universe and we had kind of foreseen what was going to happen with their father or with Harry and Meghan well I reckon they would have been elevated to the positions of working royals and I think they would have done a great job and it's, it's a real shame that I mean hindsight is a wonderful thing isn't it and if we had the power of that many years ago, then they would have probably been in the position to work for the royal family. Because talk about slim down monarchy. I mean, Princess Anna said it herself. There ain't a lot of them left. And when you've got seven of the 11 are over 70 years old, well, where does that leave the royal family? It basically leaves the Waleses and the Duke and Duchess of Edinburgh. And there's no um, thought that Louise or James will become working royals. If I was William, I'd be having these conversations pretty seriously and saying, listen, we need a hand here. Um, you know, that's my own criticism of William and Kate not doing enough. Which will come this, to. Yeah, but they'd smash it out of the park after. Maybe they were listening to the podcast. Well, I, I thought their, tw their Twitter thread where they did their rewind of September, I thought, like, this is Russell. Come on. They, they're saying, we've done all of these things. Let's make well, Russell happy. And then they've been doing yeah, this. Anyway, we'll come to that. Let's finish. Yes. Let's finish with the other um sort of the yeah the the slim down royal family I mean, I mean i would agree with you on beatrice and eugenie and the they are being royal-esque in their, in their public service they're still being advocates for charities and taking on patronages of the things that they care about and how they have an affection for and are doing their best to elevate them and talk about them and you know use their use their names for the good as far as i can tell so you know well, well they're in there but they're they're young. They're like 30, right? So they could have been the next generation. I mean, William and Kate are in their 40s. Their kids are too I young. What would being in your 40s, Russell? Well, <laughs> don't tell me about it. <laughs> and I think that they could have bridged the gap perfectly. And people like them. They've become, you know, comedy figures at some stage rather unfairly when they were growing up. But when you listen to them talk, I think they talk with great authority. They're not afraid to have a laugh at themselves. And I think that is a real important factor in the new age royals. And you see that William and Kate do that, whether they're on podcasts or whether they're engagements. Their children are far too young. I mean, you know, 
George is just sitting his 11 plus entrance exam. So um, that could have been an option. And has it been taken away now? Because too much has been made of the slim down monarchy. Should we be paying for them? The royals are costing us 100 million pounds. All of these, and of course, we are the media. We we responsibly report these facts and they are facts. I just think there could have been a bit of a bridging of the gap, but I think it's gone too far down the track now for Charles to say, okay, well, we need a couple of more hands on deck um, and he, he, he's not going to he's not going to row back on it. Let's talk about briefly about Sophie and Edward and Anne. Sophie, you know, a year ago or sort of maybe 18 months ago in the final months of, of the Queen's reign and even around to her death, actually, Sophie felt like a real focal point and that she'd come come up a lot come forward was such good good companion of the queen was doing sort of more and bigger things and it just feels like she's she's not quite so on the front foot in some ways anymore i mean she she looked fantastic this week in her little leather skirt with the uh with the split and the knee knee boots so that made a statement but it just seems a bit quiet. I mean, she she did some big visits and things earlier in the in the year abroad. Maybe that's part of it. Sometimes a lot of her sort of big ticket work is abroad. Edward is doing quite a lot of you know Duke of Edinburgh stuff and some of his new military bits and bobs. And Princess Anne is carrying on being Princess Anne very much, probably as as she was before, really, um, with the the duties, if you like. I don't know. Does it feel like? I mean, we were saying that William and Kate were maybe too tied up in their big projects. Do, are they? Are the others lacking a big project, or is it just are they? Are they also having to find their space while the King and Queen find their space, and Prince and Princess of Wales find their space? So they're waiting to find their new shape in this new world. Their new roles. Well, I tell you what, my theory is: I reckon they've been casualties of the in quotes transitional year, and a lot of people are waiting to see what chess pieces were going to move on the board. And obviously the king had to make his decisions, not only where he was going to go in the UK, what sort of community groups, religious groups he was going to get, be involved in first. And I think that everybody was a bit um, perhaps wary, perhaps he was a sort of a three-line whip that they couldn't do it. But very, very much the the, the onus had, be, had to be on Buckingham Palace. What was the king going to do first? Where was he going to go? What were his major state visits going to be? Where were the big Commonwealth tours going to be first? We've spoken before about how that um, that William and Kate were pretty much constricted by Buckingham Palace and the King's decisions or lack of decisions in that transitional year. Well, it seems as though the King is like straight out the blocks as soon as the year's done. He's gone off to France and that's been a great success. Obviously, that was supposed to happen earlier on the year, but we've got the upcoming trip to Kenya. William and Kate seem to be doing a lot more engagements now, but we still don't have any big, big events on the agenda i know of course a uh, shot is one but i kind of i kind of feel that that's not even for i know that's for the next generation that's for the greater good of the world but it's not necessarily for king and country and for countrymen and women and all folk if you're putting it into that mode i suppose what are they going to do this year well nothing in terms of be big tours as singapore aside and certainly Sophie and Edward have kind of had to row back on it. There was a lot of discussion about Sophie being the royal secret weapon. She was doing things on girls' education, travelling to Africa. 
the really, really important aspects of work that Megan was kind of in that arena. And then when Megan wasn't there, it was kind of, well, you know, Sophie's glamorous and she speaks fantastically well. She's worked with the UN. She's been doing the job a couple of decades or longer. And so you think about where would she fit in in the Royal um, Jigsaw puzzle? And I think that she would have been a fantastic ambassador. And she still may well be. But again, they have been a bit reluctant to maybe push their agenda because of uh, what's been happening with this transitional year. You think about Edward, he was in my neck of the woods yesterday. He was in Brighton. A bit baking. And I, well, he was, and he went to the football stadium. He went to a sixth-born college. I was just reading some of the copy from the Brighton Argus, uh, a fine organ down this, uh, done these ways. And they say, during his trip to the sixth-born college, the Royal was surrounded by students excited to see him. Some who applauded, cheered and called out his name i mean what more could he ask for he wasn't even unveiling a plaque so he didn't get to do his old fancy plaque removal vibe that he does do you think we're essentially seeing the jet lag of the transition in that the amount of lead time there often is in big royal trips and planning particularly things that are abroad and a bit more dangerous a lot of the things that happened you know in sort of the previous school year if you liked had already been planned in before the queen's death so that program of work sort of was in place and carried on and that was that was set up. But then the working out of, OK, what do we do next, took an amount of time. And then there's the lead time of getting in and planning that and getting that set up. So, I don't know, it, it, it'll all kick in again after Christmas, maybe in a different way. Or I don't know. Do you think there's a that lag? Yeah, I mean, let's be fair to them. I think that there has been an awful lot of change. You can prepare... For as long as possible, can't you? Prepare your whole life for his job. But then when it actually comes to moving into the top job, as it were, I mean, the CEO is not going to get his top team in place straight away. There needs to be a, a period of transition. And we've definitely had that. A year is further complicated by paying reverence to the late queen, everything her legacy stood for. What is the king going to be about? I mean, Germany was a great success. Germany and France should have been in March. And then perhaps we would have seen a bit more activity. But again, 2024 is probably a big year, right? I'm told we're going to have a Canada tour for the King, Australia later on in the, in, in the year next year. And no doubt the, the, the Waleses will want to hit the ground running. Um, Kate not going to, to Singapore is obviously a blow for the organisers. And I, and I think the main event will suffer from attention i mean that is just the way of the world that kate brings glamour to a big event and of course we will still be talking about the um you know the intricacies of what Earthshot stands for but you know kate is a great ambassador for that project as well she was in london she was in boston um just as you know when megan is in at invictus it gets a lift and she speaks and everybody listens and 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 they work together as a great team. And so let's let's just hope. I think there's a bit needed a bit of settling down after the first year. Now, realistically, we're in October. We're going to be looking forward to Christmas soon enough. And then the next year is going to hopefully kick off with a bang. I'm going very, very fast, isn't it? I mean, it was only a week ago where you were like, I want William and Kate to be doing more. And then the last few days, loads of great visits, lovely pictures. Is that what you were looking for, Russell? I mean, they. If I talk, they listen. Said no one ever. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> Did somebody say something? And, yeah, exactly. It was an echo. 
And so I think, um, of course, the, the engagement we saw them during the week, uh, Black History Month, is something that is, in, as we were going to mention Ukraine in a minute, I think these are two big issues for them at home and abroad. It's something that, that is very, very important to them. And William and Kate discussing Black History Month. William, which I didn't know, keeping his promise to one of the Caribbean elders, a lady called Professor Uzu uh, Iobi, who was the founder of the African Community Centre in Wales and Race Council in Wales, had invited him when he presented her with her CBE. And this was earlier on the year. She said to him, you will come to Wales. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, no, you will come to Wales, won't you? Because I want you to meet the Caribbean elders. And at the 75th anniversary of Windrush, which we've been talking about for the last year, um, is really, really important to the UK. And of course, the Caribbean nations as well. And it's something that they did last year, if you remember, when they unveiled the statue in Waterloo Station in London. And of course, um, Pride of Britain, our very own Pride of Britain, which will be coming to your screens very, very soon. William met one of the um, the founders of the Caribbean Cricket Club and um, uh, Alfred, who stood for one of the uh, King Charles's Windrush portraits, is is intertwined and i think that it's great that they got to do that in wales so another one ticked off the you know the tick list i was perhaps being a bit unfair to them to saying they hadn't been to wales i think that makes it four times in the year or just outside so you know give them their dues a they couple of times in the last up. month well there you go i definitely think they do the frequency podcasts at least maybe they're the aides are listening to the podcast and she went to france to see them play uh he went to france to see them play rugby she's on the english team now it's something that is is some it, people have been calling out for right is where are we going to see them more everybody understands that like i said when they have a, a, a big movement of chess pieces as this uh as this family have had to contend with over the last few months. It's something that is 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 quite important to not make sh- sure you don't do the wrong thing or to, um, you know, I suppose, annoy the, the next fraction of families. And that is an issue, you know. We've, we've taken about that many times, about how there is competition amongst the households. They want to maybe align themselves to causes that other, other people were doing. Harry and Meghan found that that was their undoing or perhaps one one of their undoings that they wanted to do things that other people kind of had put their flag in the in the ground with so um yes we are seeing them doing a lot more and long may that continue and it was a lovely visit as well to the i have a go at saying this siorazm community hub in bracknell i think it was so not far from where they live in in windsor but uh a community hub for people who are refugees from ukraine uh showing support for ukraine which again is an issue that, as you said, the royal family have really engaged heavily with. Uh, really lovely pictures of you know doing handprints in the Ukrainian blue and yellow. Well, I thought it was interesting. She appeared to be wearing gloves to do her handprints, which I thought was interesting, rather than getting full on paint and getting painty and doing Brave. it properly. You know, if you've got a big rock like that, you don't want to be getting paint on it, I suppose. I mean, you do it on the other hand or whatever. You just hold, oh, yes, hold, so hold my lovely engagement ring and look after it for <laughs> me. And um, the little girl in the tiara. I mean, those that's always priceless when there's pictures of like the real princess meeting the small child that is dressed up like a princess is great. And then Kate leaving, you know, writing the marker pen, we're all thinking of you, lovely message on the box. Oh, and she's out of the wheelchair rugby today. So, I mean, she's already arrived with her fingers still taped up, but the wheelchair rugby and wheelchair sports in general, they can get pretty 
Bruce Boy. I mean, wheelchair tennis at Wimbledon is always amazing to watch. It's absolutely incredible. But so hopefully, hopefully she doesn't go away with any more... Uh, I'll give you an update. Well, I'll go give on, you an Russell. update why she had her fang- fingers... Fangers? Her fingers still bandaged. And it's because, obviously, it is pretty brutal if you're doing wheelchair rugby, bashing into each other and she... You know, manoeuvring the wheelchair as well. And this was uh, trying out wheelchair rugby league today in Hull. Um, and her fingers, you remember, it's a trampolining incident. Yep. Oh, <laughs> this is uh, something that seems to have plagued her over the last couple of weeks. But she was, um, yeah, someone's saying she was taken to manoeuvring the chair really quickly. Someone apparently saying she wanted to go faster and faster. So all about inclusivity, rugby league. She is a patron of the uh, Rugby League and Rugby Union Associations as well. So, very, very busy time for our okay. Busy time. And interesting fashion choices recently as well. But lots of businessy suits, lots of trousers, pinstripe suits for the uh, trip to Wales. And then a tank top or sleeveless jumper or, I don't know, what a vest. Probably some places call it. Oh, I don't think it's it was a I think it was, I mean, it I, be I think padded probably, to be a gilet. I think I would probably call it a, a tank top, which it, traditionally... I think when we were teenagers, Russell, they were deemed massively uncool and they were the things that geography teachers wore because yeah. they'd not yet thrown them out from the 1970s with their corduroy trousers. But what's your what's your take? Do you wear a tank top? Not a tank top. But I'm, I'm, you know, a you bit of a Chile aficionado. <laughs> you know, when you live down by the coast, the weather can change at any moment, so you've got to be prepared. Wow, Gile, it's a, it's a thing, for every, thing for every weather. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure Kate's woolen uh, woolen tank was, but uh, she looked she looked great in it. And I love the little little white collar poking over. I think uh, I need to get a fashion fashion special back on the to do list as well. So definitely uh, look to. It's always nice to look back over pictures of what Kate's been wearing. I think that's that's where I started all of this a long time ago. Yeah, before yeah. before William before, and Kate were married. Before, before the podcast, all the craziness started. That was when I was first engaged in royal reporting, just when they were getting engaged, and then the world went mad. So it was very exciting. And it remains exciting and very interesting and always great to catch up with you, Russell. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully it might be Kenya when we hear from you next with a little bit of luck. It might be, yeah. I'm going to take, I'm going to take a, a little bit of a leave of absence. I'm going to take a, a bit of time off over the next couple of weeks. And then... I will be with you with Mr. Vogler, hopefully, in the, in Kenya. With a little bit of luck. So, well, um, good luck with your packing and all of that. And uh, listeners, thank you very much for joining us. Great to have you with us as ever. And until next time. Pod save the king!